ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय भूतसर्गस्तृतीयस्तु तन्मात्रो द्रवशक्ति चतुर्थ ऐंद्रिय सर्गो यस्तु ज्ञान क्रियात्मक Translation, the sense perceptions are generated in the third creation and from these the elements are generated. The fourth creation is the creation of knowledge and of working capacity. Text 17. Vaikāriko devasarga panchamo yanmayam manaha shashthastu tamasa sargo yastvabuddhi krita prabhoho The fifth creation is that of the controlling deities by the interaction of the mode of goodness of which the mind is the sum total. The sixth creation is the ignorant darkness of the living entity by which the master acts as a fool. Apart, the demigods in the higher planets are called devas because they are all devotees of Lord Vishnu. Vishnu bhakta smita daiva asara stad viparyayaha All the devotees of Lord Vishnu are devas or demigods whereas all others are asuras. That is the division of the devas and the asuras. Devas are situated in the mode of goodness of material nature whereas the asuras are situated in the modes of passion or ignorance. The demigods or controlling deities are entrusted with departmental management of all the different functions of the material world. For example, one of our sense organs, the eye, is controlled by light. Light is distributed by the sun rays. and their controlling deity is the sun similarly mind is controlled by the moon all other senses both for working and for acquiring knowledge are controlled by the different demigods the demigods are assistants of the lord in the management of material affairs after the creation of the demigods all entities are covered by the darkness of ignorance each and every living being in this material world is conditioned by his mentality of lording it over the resources of material nature Although a living entity is the master of the material world he is conditioned by ignorance by the false impression of being the proprietor of material things the energy of the lord called avidya is the bewildering factory of the condi- factor of the conditioned souls the material nature is called avidya or ignorance but to the devotees of the lord engaged in pure devotional service this energy becomes vidya or pure knowledge this is confirmed in bhagavad gita the energy of the lord transforms from mahamaya to yogamaya and appears to pure devotees in her real feature the material nature therefore appears to function in three phases as the creative principle of the material world as ignorance and as knowledge as disclosed in the previous verse in the fourth creation the power of knowledge is also created the conditioned souls are not originally fools but but by the influence of the avidya function of material nature they are made fools and thus they are unable to utilize knowledge in the proper channel By the influence of darkness the conditioned soul forgets his relationship with the supreme lord and is overwhelmed by attachment hatred pride ignorance and false identification the five kinds of illusion that cause material bondage when the purport should appropriate makes the very 
interesting comment that Maya, which is meant for deluding conditioned souls in the material world, and acts as vidya for the devotees. Maya means avidya, moha, illusion. What is the nature of illusion? And that is a point of dissension between Mayavadis and Vaishnavas. The Mayavadis say that illusion, that I was discussing just the other day, illusion means to accept that which is unreal as real. That which the Mayavadis say to illusion means to accept that which has no existence as having existence. Both Mayavadis and Vaishnavas say that illusion means to accept that which is unreal as real. The Mayavadis say that illusion means to accept that which has no existence as having existence. In other words, they say, Brahma Satyam Jagan Vidya, this world is false. But the Vaishnavas say that illusion, that's, that's one, that is one understanding of illusion. Another understanding is to misidentify one thing for another. So the Vaishnavas accept that in one sense this material world is false, inasmuch as it, it doesn't last eternally. But the nature of illusion by, by which we are illusioned in this material world is the false identification of this world as, as the place of our real existence. And false perception of this material world as a place for our enjoyment which is not. This material energy is that by which the living beings, they are put into complete illusion. The spirit soul becomes overwhelmed by the three modes of material nature. But for one who's a devotee who sees things as they are, sees through the eye of scripture, Shastra Chakshusha, then he sees this material world, but he sees it without illusion. He sees it as it is. He sees everything in relationship to Krishna. Yomam Pashati Sarvatra Sarvam Chakmai Pashati Tazyaham Nakranashami Satchamai Nakranashati. Krishna says, Do you know the translation of this verse? Can you say it? <coughs> Oh, 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 you left out an important word there. He's not lost. Not lost. That's exactly. One who sees me everywhere and sees everything in me, Krishna says, I am never lost to him and he is never lost to me. So one who sees through the eye of scripture sees Krishna in everything and Krishna everywhere. Just like you see a tree and I see a tree. Uh, a devotee sees a tree and a non-devotee sees a tree. But a non-devotee, I mean, but mostly you don't see a tree as anything, being anything. You just don't think about it. But you just see it as part of the material energy. It's there. Maybe I could cut the branches and make a fire in the winter. But a devotee sees this is Krishna's manifestation. Different vision. Krishna gives so many examples in Bhagavad Gita how we can understand his presence in everything. For instance, Rasoham, it's famous, I think that's the most famous of all these verses. 
Rasoham apsu. I am the taste in water. Prabhasmi shashmi surya yaho. I am the light of the sun and the moon. Pranavah sarvadeideshu shabdakei parushanhinashu. So these are things that we see regularly. We experience regularly. The taste of water. Any taste we taste. We cannot taste without water. If your mouth is completely dry, is it correct? If your mouth is completely dry and you eat some completely dry food, actually of course some saliva will come in the mouth. But you can't taste without rasa, without water. It's not possible to taste. So water is the medium by which taste is experienced. And that taste is a representation of Krishna. And the light of the sun and the moon, either you see the sun in the daytime, or, the, or even if you don't see the sun, sometimes the clouds cover the sun. But you see the light, and you understand, this is the representation of Krishna. Generally, the followers of the Vedic culture, when the sun rises, they offer prayers. Or maybe they will perform Surya Namaskar, recognizing that well, without the sun, how can we live? What can we do? We can't see anything. Devotees, they also see the sun. When they see the sun rising, they offer, you can do, you can offer the prayer. Yet chakshuresha savita sakala grahana, raja samastha suramurti rasheesha teja, yet yagaya brahmati sangvata, kala chakra govindavadi purushantam mahamajana. This vast rising ball, you see, the sun. In the, in the morning, in the, in the summer, when we see the sunrise, you know, now scorching will begin. Such fiery power which the sun has been giving out since time immemorial. According to modern scientists, that the amount of energy given out by the sun in one second is that all the energy the human race uses from its power stations and the more primitive forms of power harnessments, making a fire and sitting, warming your hands at it. Now it's the, the fire lighting season. So the human race, one second of the sun's power would be enough to, at the present rate of power consumption to last the human race for billions of years. Because anyway, how much, how much of the sun's power lands on this planet? Just a very tiny, tiny, tiny part. It must be less than a millionth of a percent, much less. Of the, because you see the, the earth planet in relation to the whole universe, how small it is. So the sun is giving out so much power and it's not diminishing. It goes on giving out power. Now it's also the Fataka season. So we see that people are lighting fireworks and it lasts for a short time and they go pat 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 and then it's finished. But the sun is giving out how much more power than a firework? It's practically inestimable. Practically unlimited more power, unlimitedly more power, but it doesn't diminish. It doesn't burn out. It goes on giving out light and heat, tremendous light and heat. We can't imagine how much light and heat. We're feeling it as too hot. Even we are so many millions of miles away, we're feeling it as too hot. The power of the sun is so immense. So when we see the sun rising, we can think, oh, this is... Krishna, his representation of Krishna. This, this uh, sun, which is compared to the eye of the universal form of the world, that is representation of Krishna. So powerful. But it's only 
giving out a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of the power of Krishna. So this way we see the sun, we see the moon. It's also a representation of Krishna. Prabhasmi Shashi, Shashi is mentioned before Surya, the moon. We understand from the Vedic literatures that the moon, apart from giving a little light at night, not much now, you won't notice because you're living in the town with the neon lights, but I'm out in the village. Now it's all the, the moon is now almost maranchan, almost completely dead and finished. It's coming up to the end of the lunar phase. Soon it will be Amavasya. But the moon gives a little light at night, but the moon also has a function in nourishing the vegetables. That's one more function. What is that? Uh, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Ojas, what is that? 13th chapter. Is it 13th chapter or 15th chapter? No, no. When Krishna says, I'm the, I become the moon. Yachchandramasi yachchag. No. Tattejo vidhimamakam. No, he said, Krishna says, the light of the fire and the moon comes from me. There's another one when he says, Somo Bhutta. What is that? I become the, I become the moon and nourish the vegetables. I can't remember this. Huh? I become the moon and give, give rasa, give taste to the vegetables. Those who are cultivators, they, they also understand. You have to plant the vegetables a certain day of the moon. They understand how the moon is giving life to the vegetables, giving flavor. There's one method of cultivation of vegetables, aquaculture. It's been developed in the Western countries where you just grow them indoors in some plastic container with water only. No fertilizers, nothing. So you can grow vegetables and no flavor. <laughs> because the moon gives the flavor. So when you eat the vegetable you think, oh, nice flavor. The flavor is coming from Krishna, from the moon. And also because when we take prasad, Krishna eats it and that also gives more flavor. The flavor of Krishna's lips, saliva. And the moon also has a function in controlling the, the waters, the, the tides, you see. High tide on Purnima. They, they become more, controls them. And also the, uh, the water within the body. I was told, one doctor told me, that... Uh, if you perform, is this generally accepted? I think I asked you about this before. If you perform surgery, they prefer not to do surgery on Purnima or around Purnima because the blood will flow more. You didn't, you didn't hear that? That's one doctor told me. Maybe he's an Ayurvedic doctor. So the devotee, he, he understands so many things. From studying Shastra, you can understand so many things. And you can see everything in relationship with Krishna. And by getting this knowledge from Shastra, one gets Vidya. Ved means Vidya, knowledge. And then you can see everything in relationship to Krishna. Just like when you see the moon, the moon is now diminished. Why is that? Why is the moon becoming like that? And then we see that, uh, you know, of course, there may be a scientific explanation, which is also, also maybe acceptable, but... According to the Puranic literature, the 
moon was cursed at one point. By who? Who was that? By Daksha? And Daksha cursed Buddha. Hmm? By Ganesh. And that story I don't know. There's another story. There may be some, he may have been cursed more than once. That's also true. See, I don't know the story very well myself. Then he got again benediction from Lord Shiva that he could again come back to life. Therefore we have Somnath. So everything we can see by studying Shastra, we'll see everything in this material world in relationship with Krishna. If we study Shastra from devotees, if we hear from non-devotees, then the same knowledge will turn into mind. Just see. By studying Shastra from devotees, then we come to the platform of Vidya. Because this, this Shastra is Vidya, is actual knowledge. But if we hear Shastra, if we take... You see the point? We're in ignorance. And if we study Shastra from devotees, we come to the position of knowledge. But if we study Shastra from non-devotees, then that which is knowledge will become Maya. So by hearing from devotees, Maya becomes transformed into Vidya. But by hearing from non-devotees, Vidya becomes transformed into Maya. By hearing from non-devotees, we will, we will increase our Maya. Instead of just being in Maya, just plain in Maya, we'll think, I am God. That's more Maya. That's worse Maya. Of course, everyone is thinking like that, even directly or indirectly. But if we hear from Mayavadis, then they will apparently philosophically rationalize that we are actually all God. You are God, but you forgot. Now immediately you should say, well, how, how do I forget? What made me forget? That means there's something stronger than me. And then we'll say, oh yes, but that's just your Leela. And Leela, then why should I escape from it anyway? Why should I, if I, what is this Leela? Sometimes becoming a pig. It's my Leela, I have to go to work and work like an ass to earn 3,000 rupees a month. That's my Leela. I have a toothache. It's so painful. That's Leela. There's so many wrong ideas. They have... They'll make big, big philosophical talks, but it's all... It's all wrong. Just like in mathematics, you can make a big calculation, calculus and so many things. But if you make a simple arithmetical mistake, then it'll all come out wrong. It means you may have a, you have, may have very, you may be good intellectually. You may be good at mathematics, but you didn't understand some basic points. If, if in the course of your calculation you say five x squared times five x squared equals twenty four x cubed, you made you may understand the principle of multiplication, but you made some arithmetical mistake. So the whole calculation comes out wrong. So similarly, one may be intellectually proficient in juggling philosophical concepts. But if you make some basic mistakes, then the whole calculation will be wrong. The whole philosophy will be wrong. And we see that there are many people who are very deeply intellectual, but they, they make basic mistakes. Mostly they make the in, in modern way of life. They, they make, 
mostly make the basic mistake of not understanding that we're not the body. And we'll find many people, they even discuss about Krishna Leela and Bhagavatam and philosophy and the Bhagavatam and all these things, but they don't, they haven't clearly understood that we're not the body. And therefore they'll make so many mistakes. They'll misunderstand Krishna to be immoral, or they'll take Krishna to be an agent for our enjoyment on the material platform. Because they haven't understood the basic point that we're not the body. Even we see people, they take up chanting Hare Krishna, maybe out of some piety, or they want peace, but they don't advance because they haven't understood the basic point that we're not the body and this, this material world is not a place of our enjoyment. That's why we see Prabhupada was all the time emphasizing, you're not the body, you're not the body, you're not the body, you're not the body. Sometimes devotees say, well, no, we already understood that. Why don't we talk about something else? But we didn't understand. Otherwise, why are we falling down? Oh, we already understood. That's boring. I don't want to hear that anymore. We should hear. We're not the body. It's very important to continuously hear that we're not the body. Otherwise, we may go up in theoretical philosophy. We may develop so much theoretical philosophical knowledge. And I've seen even many devotees who they have good knowledge of Shastra. You can ask them so many things, they'll give so many answers, they know so many verses, and even philosophy, they're theoretically good at, but they don't, they just, in their practical life you can see that they haven't understood, they're not the body, they're not controlling their senses, they're not even, they're not even trying to control their senses. They may even invent some philosophy that you don't have to control your senses. So how Maya becomes Vidya? Then we have to take we have to take shelter of Krishna. And then Maya, who is the devotee of Krishna, will help us to develop that knowledge. But if we only as a formality take up devotional service, then Maya won't be cheated, and Krishna won't be cheated. She will very subtly trick us because we want to be tricked. If we're not serious about Krishna consciousness then we will think, I'm a great devotee, I'm making so much advancement, I'm so learned. But actually we're just completely in Maya. Unless we actually surrender to Krishna. Maya is more powerful that we should always remember. We have no power before Maya. This morning I was just out chanting my rounds. There's a dog was there and a mouse. The mouse was going on the path, and the dog caught it, took it. Usually you see cats, they do that, but this dog took it. So the mouse was trying to run for shelter. There were some bamboos piled up. He was trying to run, but too late, the dog got him. There's nothing he could do. He was trying to run, but there's nothing he can do. The dog is much bigger and faster and more powerful. So I was thinking, that's just like Maya. There's nothing, you, there's nothing we can do. What can we do? Maya is so much more powerful than us. We can, the, the only thing is, if we take shelter of Krishna, then we can be delivered. If I had chased the dog away and bent down and picked up the mouse and put it in a safe place, then we would have been safe because, at least in some respects, I'm more powerful than the dog. 
I didn't do so. I mean, I didn't see it till it was caught. And maybe I wouldn't. I, should we or shouldn't we? That's another question. <laughs> but that's... Uh, you see, like that, whatever you see, we can see in relationship to Krishna. I was thinking, oh, that's just like Maya. Maya is catching us just like that. We're completely powerless. Prabhupada often used to quote, sometimes he used to quote, Tulsidas in his Ram Charitmanas gives the example that in the, when the river is flooding, very powerful currents, that even great elephants can be carried away by that. The elephant is very powerful. But if the river is in spate, you know that term? River in spate. It means when it's flooding and it's rushing very powerfully. Then even a very powerful elephant will be washed away and there's nothing he can do. But the fish in the water swims against the current. He takes pleasure in swimming against the current, which the elephant cannot resist. Why is that? Tulsidas gives the example because he's taken shelter of the water. So he gives the example that if you take shelter of the Lord, then even though the current of Maya is very powerful, then we can defy Maya, or not exactly defy, but we can go, we can swim happily in the water of the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Of course, we don't accept Tulsi Das as being ultimately authoritative, but still, if anyone says any good thing, we can quote that. It doesn't mean that we accept everything he says is powerful. We quote Shankaracharya. Shankaracharya gives so many instructions about renunciation. So we can accept those. Prabhupada sometimes used to quote, what was that? Nari sthanabharam atanabhidesha. What is that? Don't be attracted to the breasts and navel of a woman that is mangsavikara. It's only flesh. Don't be attracted. So we can adopt such a teaching. It doesn't mean we accept everything Shankaracharya says. But some knowledge is that even uh, people who are completely away from the Vedic knowledge, if they say something valuable, we can accept that. What is that? Abraham Lincoln said, he, he has a right to criticize who has a heart to help. It's a good instruction. That doesn't mean that we should follow Abraham Lincoln who is a beef eater. Well, Abraham Lincoln said that, it's a good instruction, therefore we should eat beef because he had beef. No, we don't accept him as an absolute authority. But if he says something acceptable, we can incorporate this. Discussion comes up, these seven habits of highly successful people. Well, should we study or shouldn't we? There are many instructions there which uh, he is, this Stephen Covey has some insights into human dealings. So, if he has said something good, we can accept it. We should, what are so many things he says which are good instructions. What is that? We should be proactive. See the problem before it happens. Preempt it. That's a good instruction. First, seek to understand before you seek to be understood. So it's alright, but, but seek to understand means we should understand through the Vedic literatures. Not that we have to listen to every, any nonsense that anyone says. 
Still, we have to see what is, when we are preaching, we have to see what is the mentality of the person and address it in such a manner. We see Prabhupada when he first went to America. Actually, in the beginning, he didn't preach so much. When he went to New York, he said he used to ride around on the subway. Subway means the underground train. He used to see and speak. And gradually, he assessed the local mentality and he started preaching. But even then, he didn't, it doesn't mean he compromised with the local mentality. There's one story given in the Prabhupada Lilamrita that one, when Prabhupada was in the very early days, he was preaching in New York City in a storefront, a tiny storefront. And one day a, a local rock band came to listen to his lecture called the Fugs or something like that, I don't know, some funny name. And their, their music was all, it was all very, their, their lyrics were very gross about having sex and all these kind of things. So on that day, Prabhupada lectured very strongly about how one should not be entangled in sex life and the Fugs never came back again or whatever the name of the group was. And also the question comes up that uh, was, you would come in and all the hippies would be there with all their beads and bangles and all dirty old jeans and he would come in with his suit and like this. And he asked a question very politely of Prabhupada that after some time he said, well I can't really understand, you know, you're saying about how there should be restriction on sex but isn't there, isn't sex an expression of love between a man and a woman? That's a very common idea in the Western world, which is also now being promoted in India. And it's all feeling and no responsibility. So when the feeling goes away, then the husband goes away. When they don't feel anymore, oh, I don't, I love you, now I don't love you. Okay. Like tissue paper. Now I want to use it, now I finished. Throw it away. Finished. No responsibility. So, this uh, Prabhupada, he didn't accept that said, no, love in this material world is simply a cause of bondage. Similarly, that Vietnam War, Prabhupada was preaching about Krishna and Arjuna on the battlefield, how Krishna is telling Arjuna, you have to fight. It wasn't very popular at the time because most of the hippies, they were against America's involvement in the Vietnam War because it meant the men would all have to go away and get shot dead, most of them. And uh, they wanted to enjoy it. And the women also wanted to enjoy, and how can you enjoy if there's no boyfriend? So, of course, they've got a solution to that now also. Hare Krishna, you won't mention it here. So, uh, they wanted peace for sense gratification. All over the world, saying, we want peace. Well, why? So we can enjoy sense gratification unrestrictedly. But Prabhupada didn't accept. Even people protested that this war is not very good. That's also necessary. Sometimes it's required. Not very popular. Anyway, I was getting deviated. I was talking about Stephen Covey. We may also accept some of his ideas. He has some good ideas. But we don't accept his whole way of thinking. That's very dangerous. If you think, oh, he said, this is right. What he says, this is right. This is right. Well, we have to see. It may not be fully right. Just like, first understand before you try to be understood. But, we have to, but that's not actually our process. That we try to understand what the person says and accept it as, as being bona fide. No, we... If he talks all rubbish, which most people do, then we have to understand that he's talking rubbish. We have to understand from the Vedic literatures. That is our authority. But the problem is, you see, well, he says this, this sounds good, that sounds good, and then you think, well, everything he says is good. So become a Mormon. He's a Mormon. You know what a Mormon is? It's a 
It's a modern sect of Christianity. So that's the problem. You have to see everything through the eye of Shastra. Even Shastra you have to see through the eyes of Acharyas. Because in Shastra there are many things which may seem... It's not possible to understand. Who's going to understand Bhagavad Gita unless it's explained by an Acharya? Who's going to understand Srimad Bhagavatam? All this is where you see all this. Vaikarika, Deva Sarga. Who's going to understand all this? It's not easy to understand. There are so many points. Why, uh, why Vamandev is cheating Bali Maharaj? Who can understand unless it's explained by Acharyas? Why Mohini Murti is bewildering Lord Shiva? Unless it's explained by Acharyas, it's not possible to understand. So we see through the eye of Shastra. But the power of vision comes, shalaka, by the cutting of the knife which is applied by, by Guru. So that's Guru Sadhu Shastra, we have to see all together. Even in Shastra there are some statements which our Acharyas don't accept, even though it's in Shastra. Just like the story in Mahabharata of, of Mahavishnu took a white hair and a black hair from his head and that became Balaram and Krishna. But our Acharyas, they don't accept that. They say that such stories are given simply for the bewilderment of atheists. Because it's known that the atheists, they also study Shastra. So, you want this Veda is Kalpataru, desire tree. So you want to be bewildered? Here, take this. This will make you more bewildered. Krishna is shot dead. Oh, you see? Shot dead. That means Janma Karma Chamedi Vyam. Krishna is transit. Krishna's body, Avyayatma, never deteriorates. You see, this means what Krishna said in Bhagavad Gita. He said that in Bhagavad Gita, but now we understand he's bluffing because he got shot dead. Avyayatna means my form never deteriorates, it never dies. And you see, Krishna got shot dead. That means Bhagavad Gita is bogus. But Krishna, just in the same section where he says, Ajopisa Navyayatma, he also says, Janma karma chame divyam, my activities are all transcendental. So he's apparently getting shot dead, and that is also transcendental. And he went in his self-same form to the spiritual world. So everything has to be understood through acharyas. Then we can see properly. And as soon as we start to speculate and give our own interpretations, then we become in a very dangerous situation. Very dangerous. So we have to see this maya can also be knowledge. Maya can act to give us knowledge. But, to get knowledge from Maya, we have to submit to Krishna. If we submit ourselves to Maya, then Maya will confuse us. But if we can submit ourselves to Krishna, then Maya will help us to come to Krishna. So that choice we have to make. We have to surrender to Krishna. And then everything we see and everything we do will be an impetus for us to become more and more Krishna conscious. Otherwise, in the bewildered condition, everything and everything we, we see and everything we do is simply entangling us more and more and more in illusion. But when we place our mind at the lotus feet of Krishna, Savaimana Krishna Padaravinda Yoho, the first thing is to place the mind of Krishna at the, at the lotus feet of Krishna. Then the very mind which could be our enemy, Admaiva, 
Ripuratmanaha. The mind can be our enemy, but if we place our mind at the lotus feet of Krishna, then that very same mind becomes our friend to deliver us. We should deliver ourselves with the help of our mind, not become more and more entangled. So the point is to place our mind at the lotus feet of Krishna. Then we can understand Krishna. Maya helps us. But if we don't, if we don't have the attitude of taking shelter of Krishna, then even if we study Shastra, we won't find Krishna. We'll find so many objections to Krishna consciousness by studying Shastra. Even by reading Prabhupada's books, if we don't have the attitude of surrendering to Krishna, if we look, then we'll find so many mistakes and faults and contradictions. And we'll say this is all material, and it's bogus and it's mundane. I'm more intelligent. I know better. And we'll go to hell by studying Shastra. That's also possible. So in this verse and purport is also mentioned Devas and Asuras. Deva means Vishnu Bhakti Smita Daiva and Asura Asuryas Tad Viparyayaha. Devotee is godly and the opposite of that is the demon. So one can be a demon even by studying Shastra. You can be rising early in the morning, following Vedic rituals, studying Shastra, quoting Shastra, and be a demon. If he doesn't have the sense of subordination to Krishna. Hare Krishna. Is there any question? Hmm. Sometimes the Acharyas have been told, they can, from the Shastra, they can tell something, like, it is for atheists, some inside meaning, Easily oh. so the, sometimes people are telling Aracharyas are, have said like this. Aracharya, yes. So Someone says Aracharya says this. Then we come to discussion. What is the Siddhanta? Why did the Acharyas, why Jiva Swami says we can't accept that Vishnu has a white hair anyway? Because why would he have a white hair? That's a sign of old age. He doesn't have any, he's not affected by old age. So he rejects us. Right? Because it's opposite It's against the Siddhanta. Then we have to see our Acharya says this, and if the, your Acharya says something which is opposite which is maybe according to his Siddhanta, but it's against our Siddhanta. Or the, what is actually, there's no question of my Siddhanta, your Siddhanta. Siddhanta means which is correct in all times, places, and circumstances. But people take, uh, they take different philosophies to be Siddhanta, different conclusions, just like in South India, Shaiva Siddhanta. They, they say that Lord Shiva is supreme. There's one group of Shaivites following what they call Shaiva Siddhanta. You know this? So then you come to discussion. What is the actual Siddhanta? Of course, among Vaishnavas there may be different perspectives also. Even then there may be discussion. And the highest teaching is that of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Can you told that some people, really they are well read in Sastra, just like in South India, East India, you saw one person, uh, he has well read in Prabhupada fruits also, simultaneously he is well read in the Saiva Siddhanta books also. Mm-hmm. So, in one sense, again, I could say really they have taken the interest in understanding that, uh, understanding the Bhagavad Gita. 
speak with him, we are able to understand some of their matter will come to any conclusion. And they actually, the real flow bar is too. We have written him in the approach. He is also one of the approach. He may be also having from his side. Either he is or not. Yeah, we can appreciate people who study Shastra, at least they're philosophical and they have faith in the Vedas. You see, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he discussed with Sarvabhambhattacharya, Prakashananda Saraswati on the basis of Shastra. They were, they were willing to discuss on the basis of Shastra. Then when he came to the Buddhists, it was, it was stated that actually they're not fit even to discuss with because they don't accept the Shastra. Vedna Manya Bodhaitanastik. That state of the Buddhists they consider atheists because they don't accept Shastra. So that is a quality. And even they may have a demoniac conclusion, if they're within the Vedic culture, to some extent that will make them godly just by being within the Vedic culture. And certainly a, a, a Vedic demon is more elevated than a non-Vedic demon. And that will uh, help them to some extent. At least that if they accept the Vedas, they're not going to eat meat. I mean, they're not going to eat cow's meat at least. And they'll have at least some superficial respect for Ganga, Go, Govinda, others. So, yes, we, certainly if someone is learned in the Shastra, we can appreciate that. But it's that example, you may have so many zeros, you have to put a one in front of it to make it actually valuable. Prabhupada used that example in the Western countries. You've got so much money, well organized, good education, all these things. Now, all these, but it all adds up to zero if you're not Krishna conscious. But if you put a one in front of it, then it becomes. You have so many zeros, it all adds up to zero. If you put a one in front, it becomes very valuable. That one is Krishna consciousness. So in the same way, we see that people, they may have material qualities, education, wealth, all these things. So if they use that in Krishna's service, it becomes an asset. That's why Prabhupada also said that we should be encouraged that you preach to the student class. So that, uh, he said, otherwise if we go on increasing more, he said, they're more intelligent, they can take up leadership. The Prabhupada said, if we simply go on increasing the numbers of our devotees, but we don't have any devotees fit to lead, then it will simply make a chaos. So these are all different considerations. Yeah. That's also the. Yeah, that's another point we were discussing the other night. At least here in India, more than in the Western countries, especially North Europe and America, maybe in Latin countries, some countries in the Western world also, people are more simple and pious and they can come to Christian countries without much philosophical understanding. <coughs> They may not be very educated or they may not be very inclined and therefore they don't have much philosophical understanding. But such people, they can become good advantages and good advanced if they associate, if they get plenty of association with devotees who are fixed in the proper understanding. But otherwise it's going to be very difficult for them to properly advance. And even they may go enchanted for many years and they may have serious misconceptions. Unless people understand that all, all these different so-called swamis and gurus, they're all bogus. Unless they have a philosophy, then they'll think, yes, I'm chanting Hare Krishna and you know, this is the sampradaya I'm in. And the other sampradayas are also good and sometimes they hold some yagya or some, they have some kata and you can also go to that. It's all nice, it's all the same. And they'll become poisoned and polluted. 
So we have to preach strongly actually. We have to, we have to make people understand that it's not all the same. It's not that we are pre- here in Krishna Conscious we are preaching one thing and someone else is preaching something else and it's all the same. No. Yeah, that example, one Prem Yogi came and he was an impersonalist, I think he was maybe a sannyasi even, was he? You remember you recently read that? He was some kind of a, anyway he was, he was Mayavadi and well read in Shastra and Prabhupada kept him with him and he even had him help in the translation of his books and after about nine months he gave him sannyas. Bhakti Prem Swami. So, yeah, actually in those days, in the 70s, very few Indian people were joining our movement. Very few were joining us, so, and even the few who were joining, they were mostly like, actually hardly anyone was joining, and who was joining were mostly not very educated, not very capable. So, did someone just turn it off? So, when any Indian devotee of any caliber came to our movement, anyone came, Prabhupada would encourage them tremendously. He gave Bhakti Charu Maharaj first and second initiation in a few days, and after a few months more, he gave him sannyas. And this Bhakti Prem, Prem Yogi, I think he gave him first, second, and sannyas all at once. And he went away after some time. He's in prison now in America for 50 years for, for molesting something like that, molesting children. I mean, he left. He left shortly after taking sannyas, but my point is proper. He, he kept, there was another one, Anantaram, Anantaram Shastri. He used to chant all these stotras. He made up some prayer for Prabhupada. Prabhupada appreciated that. He used to go around with his dhuna. Ding, 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 ding. So Prabhupada encouraged. And in those days, very few were coming. He encouraged them very much. Because the Western devotees, especially in those days, they were mostly very uncultured, actually. Wild, completely wild bunch, including I, I, I can't say I was any different. Maybe I'm a little better now by your association. But Prabhupada had good hope that. Uh, actually, at that time, Prabhupada was preaching in India, and most of his Western devotees, I think all of them, they couldn't understand why. Because, I mean, even when I came, I came to India for staying in 1977. I came first in 76, just for six weeks. And I came to stay in 77. So in those days we were preaching. And, I mean, everywhere we went, practically everyone we spoke to, they, they all, it was all Mayavad. But they'd all say, no, no, no. Ultimately, it's all impersonal and everything is all one. And it was horrible. I mean, it was everywhere, all the time. Even people would come and appreciate, oh, it's very nice. You're chanting Hare Krishna. And, You'll get Bhagavan's blessings, and then you can merge into the into the oneness. And it's, just, it's such and no one seemed to be very serious. Like I said, very few came. This Bhakti Prem came, and Bhakti Charu Maharaj came. He was actually he he'd been in Germany before. He studied in Germany. So in those days, it was unusual for Indians to go overseas. And very few Yashomati and he also joined in the West. So like that. 
So the Western devotees, Prabhupada was bringing them because the Indians, they weren't joining. So Prabhupada wanted to develop preaching in India and he needed someone to help him. And Prabhupada was practically the GBC for India. He was doing all management matters and everything himself. And the Westerners are completely incapable of getting cheated all the time. No, people couldn't understand why Prabhupada was pushing it so much. Why, why are we making so much effort to preach here in India where the people anyway, they're just all taught nonsense and they're not interested in joining. But Prabhupada had the vision. I, I think it was that once after a program, Hari Shoy Prabhu, he, was, he mentioned how the, he had some vision of it. He said, it's a program and people are appreciating very much and many people are chanting Hare Krishna. Hari Shoy said something like, to Prabhupada something like now I can appreciate why you're putting so much effort into India it's he said I can understand actually it's the most important place in the world and Prabhupada says it's not the most important place in the world it's the most important place in the whole universe that's there in Shastra even the demigods they want to take birth in Bharat Bhumi because it's a better opportunity for becoming Krishna conscious of course I don't know how long it's going to last because uh, nowadays still there's that, that basic Piety is there. Something is there. Still. But as far as any culture, even basic cultural training is concerned, I mean, I don't... You were saying your mother told you to eat with your right hand. I mean, there's plenty of other things too, but I mean, something. But the next generation, you're, they won't be teaching their children that. They don't do. They don't know. They don't care. They don't know. So much. Most of the Indian people, they've lost their culture, especially on this side. Even at that time, Poschina Loksha Mura Anacha, that's mentioned in Chaitanya Charitamrita. On the western side of India, they're all Muha and Anacha. They don't know what is Sadacha. So even that was, it must have been better 500 years ago, but that was written in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai.